Fantastic. Can you all stand with me as we read the Word of God? Turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And I will read in your hearing verses 10 to 15. Genesis chapter 28. And I will read in your hearing verses 10 to 15. If you have it, say, I got it. If you don't, say, wait on me. Genesis chapter 28. Reading verses 10 to 15 from the New Living Translation. The Bible says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. Then he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are laying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Verse 15 says, what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised to you. Bow your heads with me as we consider for our time together. He'll turn it around. He'll turn it around. Father in heaven, indeed your mercies are new every morning. Lord, the mercy that we sin with, the mercy that we wake up the next morning with, the next mercy that we repent with when we finally get our act together and come to ourselves is due to the mercy of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that as we open your word for our time together this morning, that you'll indeed open our heart. Let us see you in a new and special way. In your name we do pray. Seated. 12 days. That's how long it took to find John Wilkes Booth, Abraham Lincoln's killer. 12 days on the run. During those 12 days, he recorded his thoughts in his diary where he wrote, after being hunted like a dog through swamps, woods, and last night being chased by gunboats till I was forced to return wet, cold, and starving with every, hands, with every man's hand against me, I am now here in despair. A country that groaned beneath this tyranny and prayed for this end, and yet now the cold hands they extend to me. God cannot pardon me if I have done wrong, yet, I cannot see my wrong except in serving a degenerate people. He's not talking about the slaves. He's talking about the union. And he says, for my country, I have given up all that makes life sweet and holy, brought misery upon my family, 
and sure there is no pardon in heaven for me since man condemns me so. God, try and forgive me. Though I am abandoned with the curse of Cain upon me, when if the world knew my heart with one blow that would have made me great, though I did desire no greatness, but tonight I try to escape these bloodhounds once more. Who can read his fate? God's will be done. John Wilkes Booth is describing a man, a man on the run, a man who makes shadow his friend and night his domain. John acknowledges that whatever neuroses drives the criminal to commit the original crime is compounded and magnified by flight, by the sounds of dogs nipping at your heels. That fear becomes paranoia, and the paranoia ultimately psychosis. Since the beginning of time, the fundamental mind of the escaped man has not changed because the escaped man is still human, still afraid, and will stop at nothing in his attempt at flight. Being a wanted man is one thing, but being a wanted man on the run is another thing. In our scripture reading this morning, Jacob is a man on the run, a man who is on the run, who is fearing for his very life, and our narrative begins in verse 10 where it says, Jacob leaves Beersheba and sets out for Haran. He leaves Beersheba and is on the run, going to a place that he has promised a wife by God. The trip is 450 miles total and will take him three weeks to arrive at his destination. He will go through a hot desert and rugged mountains, but this day's journey has carried him 40 miles thus far. His backstory is a criminal backstory. If anyone here would Google Jacob, son of Isaac, they would find very few pictures of him with his brother Esau. Instead, they would see Throwback Thursday pictures with him and his mother, Rebecca. People would see his Instagram photos and assume that he is a mama's boy. His Facebook timeline would show status updates and posts about his rivalry with his brother Esau. But since he has been on the run, since the day he deceived his father and swindled his brother, there has been no more status updates. He is in the middle of nowhere, jobless, homeless, and on the run. Verse 11 says, he comes to a certain place and stays there at night because the sun has set Taking one of the stones of that place, he puts it under his head and lies down in that place to sleep. Jacob has no escape plan. He has no exit strategy. He has no contingency plan like Michael Schofield does on prison break. He is between his pain and his promise, between his mistakes and his miracle, his rock and his hard place. But Jacob is tired of running. His feet are heavy and his legs are cramping as he sees the sun setting. The lactic acid is building up in his muscles, telling him to slow down and rest. As he lays on the cold ground, under the cold air, with a cold stone as, as his pillow, he is rehearsing in his mind the lyrics to 50 Cent's song, My Life, that says, My life, my life makes me want to run away. There is no place to go. All the confusion... It's an illusion, like a movie with nowhere to go, nowhere to run and hide, no matter how hard I try. 
If we could be honest with ourselves, at least four people can testify that you've tried to run away from some problems in your life. We think that if we could change jobs, then maybe our new boss won't hassle us. We think that if we, if we can go to a new club, a new place, we can smoke and drink our minds numb, then maybe our lives could be more bearable. We think that if maybe we can move to the suburbs to a new neighborhood, then maybe we can find peace. If I could just move in with uncle or grandma, then maybe I can get my life together. If I could just get a new boo, a new side chick, a new sugar daddy, then maybe my life could have some consistency. And we find ourselves with nowhere to go. And we reverberate with what 50 Cent says, with running is confusion and an illusion. It's confusion because we think that by running, we're getting further away from our problems. The illusion is that we actually think that we're changing. I know most of y'all never heard of 50 Cent, but that's what he said. The more we try to change things in our lives, the worse our lives become. Um, we change clothes, but nothing changes. We change jobs, but nothing changes. We get a new car, but nothing changes. We get a new boo, nothing changes. And when nothing changes, we try to fill our lives with distractions because we don't want to be faced with reality. And here it is. You bounce from one thing, from one thing to the one thing, and the only thing that remains the same is you. You can run all you want, but you cannot escape you. While Jacob snoozes off to sleep, one has to wonder, why isn't Jacob dead? Other than the fact that Esau has not found him, the question remains, why is Jacob still alive? He plotted and conspired, strategized and orchestrated a scheme and a hustle. And he did it intentionally. Every sin is a transgression of God's law and demands justice. And um, if we get what we deserve, then every time a person sins, they would immediately die. But I've learned from this story that not only is God's grace bigger than my sin, but God's grace comes before my sin. Before Jacob runs, his father has the nerve to bless him. In verse 3 and 4 says, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a nation of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land you now reside as a foreigner, the land that God gave to Abraham. That's why, that's why Jacob is not dead. It's because God's grace and his purposes are bigger than both Jacob and Jacob's sins. Hear me, just because God allows him to be blessed does not mean that God approves but it means that his mess does not catch God by surprise. This means that before Jacob was born, God knew he was going to be a screw-up. Before Jacob was born, God knew he was going to be a deceiver. Before he was ever born, God knew he was going to be a hustler. It doesn't mean he approves. It means he already knows. Before Jacob is born, God decides that he's going to use the screw-ups, the bad choices, the mistakes, not just for his good, 
but his, for his eternal purpose. God's grace is not just greater than your sin, but God's grace is greater than you. God says, I'm going to bless you, not because of you being good. I'm going to bless you because of a promise I made to your grandfather. Jacob, it's not about you. You're just an extra in this thing. God's purposes, God's will, and God's promises are not about you being good. It's about God being God. And if we could just take a parenthetical pause and I could teach you something about the sanctuary. When the children of Israel sinned, they fell asleep. And the reason why they woke up the next morning is because of something called the Tamid, the morning and evening sacrifice. While they were sleeping, the high priest was offering a lamb in their place to cover them for their sins. When they finally woke up and came to offer their own lamb, it wasn't because of them, it was because of God's mercy. If it was about us being good, worthy, or even receptive, then God's promises would never happen. It would never come to fruition. When you roll with God, you need to understand that it's not about you, and it's bigger than you. You see, y'all look at me, I see a three-piece suit. Um, but if you Googled me, unlike my, 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 my brother, um, if you Googled me, um, only good stuff would come up. You do a background check on me, I pass, amen. Um, people will gossip about you with speculation. But God has all of the evidence. People think that they have to be lovable and beautiful to be accepted by God, but the fact that you did what you did in your dirt, and you did your dirt, and you're still alive to fall asleep while you're running away from him is the first evidence that it's bigger than you and bigger than your sin. I'm not going to tell you to turn to your neighbor, but if you look back over your life and think about the worst thing you've ever done, and you still woke up the next morning. God's grace is bigger than both you and bigger than your sin. And God shows us this in the form of a dream. The Bible goes on to say in verse 12 that he dreams. And behold, there is a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reaches to heaven. And behold, angels of God are ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stands above it and says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Check this out, y'all. He says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Uh, in this chapter, chapter 28, Jacob receives the promise of God. In this chapter, while he's running away from God, he receives the presence of God. In this chapter, Jacob, the deceiver, receives the purpose of God. But check it out, he does not deserve it. God says the land on which you're sleeping on that belongs to somebody else, um, I'm going to give to you and your kids. A land that doesn't belong to you. A land that you don't deserve.
God says, Jacob, it's your disqualification. It's your deception. It's your hustle. It's nothing compared to your dream. You see, when it is that your life is a mess and you're running from your problems, God will give you things that you don't deserve and don't even belong to you. In chapter 27, we see his past. We see his backstory. We see his pain. We see his problems. In chapter 28, he is in the midst of his predicament and his dream. But in chapter 29, we see God's destiny, God's promise, and God's favor. All right? Chapter 27, we see his disqualifications. In chapter 28, the brother deserves death. In chapter 29, he's going to receive everything that God promises him. And at no point does he deserve anything. You see, you need to understand something. God's kingdom is not a doing religion. God's kingdom is a done religion. It's about what God has already done and what he promises to do in your life. He clearly says, I am the God of your father, and I am the God of his father. Jacob, it's not about you. Hear this. It's about a promise I made to your father. I'm going to hook you up, not because of you, but because of a promise I made to your father. Um, when I was 13 years old, I had my first job. I've been working ever since, um, two jobs in most cases. But, but when I was 13, um, in, in middle school, had my first job. It, it, was, it was through a program called Good Grades Pay, where if you got decent grades, um, you, you could get a summer job. Um, but here was the thing. My grades weren't that good. Um, I was in special ed. We didn't really have grades. Um, but here's the thing. I got the job because my stepdad knew the superintendent who put me on. I got into so much trouble on that job, showing up late, getting in arguments with the boss, trying to look cute, doing construction and carpentry, trying to look cute for the girls. That fall, I got out of special ed, not because I was smart, but because my stepdad went to the Board of Education and interceded on my behalf. Then when I got fired from that job, I got into another training program at 14 because my stepdad knew the mayor whose wife ran this mentoring program. Um, church, I would love to tell you that I did good on that job, but I got kicked off of that job. And at 15, I got into another job because my stepdad worked at the high school and he knew some social workers that mentored troubled teens. I could go on and on and on. And I'm here today, not because I've studied so well, but because people had favor on me because they knew my father. You see, you can't minimize God because of your past. Don't minimize him because of your bad choices and your mistakes. Your past is your past. God is both bigger than you and bigger than your past. And he's promising you something that you don't deserve and that you don't have now. Not because of you, but because of a promise that he made before you were ever born. I know at least three people here this morning that can give God an in spite of praise. 
I got the job in spite of my disqualification. I got the job in spite of my credit. I got health in spite of my eating. If the truth be told, you have a record. You have poor credit and poor spending habits. And people are blessing you, not because of you, but because of who your father is. Thank God for the ladder. The ladder that reaches me. Hear me, not when I'm running, but when I'm sleeping. If the ladder came to me while I was running, I would have all of these objections of why I don't deserve it. If God tried to reason with me while I'm running from him, I would give him 67 reasons and a half of why I don't deserve it. But when I am sleeping, when I am lost, when I am running from my past, God comes to me and he says, Joe, I'm going to turn it around. Not because of you, but because I am your father. And he says in verses 14 and 15, your offspring, telling a single man, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you now, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. God gives past promises, as he did to Isaac and Abraham. But he also gives fresh promises to Jacob for his present condition. I told you last week that when God promises you something, you are not responsible for its success. God says you will be successful not because you're cute, not because you're all that, not because you're worthy, good, righteous, or beautiful. You will be successful because I am with you. You will be successful because I will keep you. You will be successful in your unknown future because I will never leave you. The past that you're running from, I got that. The future that is unknown, brother, I got that too. The punishment that you deserve, I got that too. God gives vision before he gives provision. When it is that you're believing that you can't do something, and you have all of the reasons in your mind why you can't do it. God will give you a glimpse of the future, not to change anything, but to give you hope. He gives vision before he gives provision. When it was that I fell out of college, I was working dead-end jobs. See, y'all look at me now, y'all ain't know I fell out of college. When I fell out of college, I, I was working for under minimum wage. I didn't know what to do with my life. And God, I didn't really want to be in church, but, but I was back home and I had to go to church. God would put people in my path who would ask me, what do you want your life to be like? I lied to most of my friends and my family. 
I told them I didn't fell out of college. I told them um, uh, I was doing some new thing and I was transferring colleges. So people at church thought I transferred. They didn't they know I fell out. And, and I finally told them. And they said, Joe, what would your life be like if you never failed? I said, you don't understand. I got a 1.77. No school will accept me. They, they said, Joe, what would your life be like if God gave you the desires of your heart? Whatever that looks like, God still wants to do it even though you fail. You see, this is how I know he'll turn it around. When it is that he gives me a dream of my future, he lets me know that his grace is greater than my sin. His purpose is bigger than my life. My plans do not depend upon me. My plans depend upon him. So I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to hang my head low. It was never about me to begin with because I never deserved anything. I wasn't asking for God. I wasn't searching for God. I wasn't checking for God. I was running away from him. And when I finally got tired, I finally fell asleep. He came in the form of a ladder. Something that I recognize, something that is natural, but something that is also supernatural. We sing the song that we're climbing Jacob's ladder. Use a lie. The ladder is not for Jacob to climb up to him. It's so God can come down to me. He comes to me when I am tired, when I am desperate, when I am sleeping. How are you going to climb a ladder when you sleep? Verse 16 says, Jacob awakes from his sleep and he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I do not know it. And he is afraid and he says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. You see, the house that God wants to build begins with the stone that you're sleeping on. The foundation of your future is built upon a forgiven past. God does this so you will know and all of your crazy friends and family will know that it's not about you, it's about him. When God gives you a dream, how oh, this going to mess you up, it both comforts you and it disturbs you. It comforts you and it disturbs you. You're excited and you're afraid. You're excited um, because you, you know about God. You're afraid because you know about yourself. But hear me, this is not about you. This is not about you being good. It's about God being God. And the question comes to my mind is how can God do it? You see, you need to understand something about ladders. Ladders can do two things. How many things? Two things. Um, ladders can go up to where people are or go down to where people are. You see, when you're stuck in a burning building, the firefighter comes 
and he puts the ladder on the roof or the window. You kind of have a way to cooperate with him. You have options when the firefighter comes to you and puts up a ladder. But when it is that the firefighters and rescuers have to put down a ladder to you, usually it's because you're trapped and you cannot help yourself. Just a few days ago, a man in Oregon, he was trapped in his truck for 17 hours at the bottom of an embankment, and they had to lower the ladder down just to reach him. That's what God did for Jacob. It's quite simple, you see. Jacob cannot come to God, but God can come to Jacob. Not so he can come up but so God can come down. I don't know about you, but God has always been using ladders. Not so we can come to him, but so he can come to us. When it was that man was hiding in the garden, God came looking for him. When his people were enslaved, the record says he came down to free them and rescue them. When they were in the wilderness baking under the Saharan sun, God came down to them in the form of a sanctuary and a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. The latter is another way of God saying, you cannot come to me, but I can come to you. God has always been coming down. God gave Jacob a vision that said, I'm going to send my angels down to you to let you know that I got you, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to save you. But the, in the sequence of time, God says angels will not do. Firefighters will not do. Even the sanctuary will not do. I need to come down for myself. He prophesied through the prophets that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be raised in Nazareth, that he would be baptized in the Jordan, he would perform miracles in the desert place and teach in Jerusalem. He says, I need to come down to walk on the Sea of Galilee. When people hear my words, they will say, never a man spoke like this man. He speaks with power and authority. When it was that God finally came down, they talked behind his back and they plotted his destruction. But he kept on doing his father's business. When it was that God came down, he prayed in Gethsemane and was arrested and tried at night. He was whipped in the courtyard and forced not to carry a ladder, but to carry an old rugged cross up Golgotha's hill. And when they were putting the nails in his hands and his feet, not on the ladder, but on the cross, the people finally understood that he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people onto me. And the song says he died, didn't he die? I'm going to come down to you and let you pierce me. I'm going to come down to you and let you crucify me so you will know who I really am. And when it was that one soldier says, we think that we have the wrong man. God finally had a witness that says, surely this must be the Son of God. And when they took him down off of the cross, they thought that Jesus was finished. They folded up the ladder and threw him in a tomb.
But as the old folks used to say in my Pentecostal church that early Sunday morning, bright early on the first day of the week, Jesus, God says, Jesus, I won't let him stay in the grave. I won't let my Holy One see corruption. God sent his angel to call his son forward. And now Jesus stands over every person who's running, every person who's a hustler, every person who's a schemer. And he says, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I was dead. That's your past. But now I live. I am alive forevermore. Wherever you are in your life, whatever your past may be, I can turn it around. If I can put the wetness in the water, then I can turn your life around. If I can put oxygen in the atmosphere, I can turn your life around. If I can put the sun on day shift and the moon on night shift and neither miss a day of work, surely I can turn your life around. I know everything about you, but I won't hold it against you. I don't need to do a background check. I already know everything. And I knew everything before there was anything. I come to you and I meet you in your broken place. When you're not looking for me, when you're trying to avoid me, when you're hiding from me, and when you're running from me. You don't need another scheme. What you need is a ladder to come to you and turn things around in your life. But you say, how do you do it? By coming to you and building a bridge to you. God, why do you do it? Because of a promise I made to myself before you were ever born. And the promise is this. I'm going to create you. I know you're going to mess up. I'm going to create you anyway. And when you mess up, I'm going to activate a plan that you did not create, that you cannot contribute to. So I can save as many people as possible. And I want to include you. My grace is bigger than you. My grace is stronger than you, but I want to include you. But I need you to slow down. I need you to fall asleep, and I need to give you a dream. One day I was walking into my foster mother's house, and I walked in and I saw um, cracked eggs on the table, spilled milk on the floor. And I, I, I didn't call her mom. I called her Mrs. Haygood. I said, Ms. Haygood, what are you doing? She said, don't worry, baby. I'm fixing to do something. All I saw was cracked eggs and spilt milk. I said, what, what you going to do with, with, with cracked eggs and spilt milk? She said, honey, child, I, I, I'm fixing to do something. She said, come on here and sit down. So, 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 I, so I sat down wondering, what in the world is she going to do with cracked eggs and spilt milk? She took the eggs that were cracked. She put it in a bowl. She took the milk that was spilt, um, and she put it in the bowl, and she started mixing it up. I said, Mrs. Hager, what, what are you doing? I can't eat that. She said, baby, I'm fixing to do something. Just sit down and watch what I'm going to do. So I sat down, and I saw that she was mixing 
cracked eggs and the spilt milk in the bowl. She put in some other stuff. Then she put it in this pan. I still didn't know what she was doing. She put it in the oven. And she said, baby, come back after a while, and I'm going to give you what's in there. I said, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want no eggs. I don't want no milk. I don't know what you're doing. She said, baby, I'm fixing to do something. Just trust me. I've been doing this. She ain't have no cookbook. She ain't have no instructions. She put a pinch of this and a dab of that. I walked in. All I saw, cracked eggs and spilled milk. Uh, but, but I went upstairs, and I took a nap. I woke up, and there was some sweet odor in the air. I ran down the stairs, and I said, what happened to those cracked eggs and the spilt milk? She said, baby, I took it. I mixed it together. I put some other stuff in it, put some love in it, put it in the oven, and poof, there's a cake. I, I said, how you, how you do that? She said, baby, I can't, I can't explain it to you. If I had to explain it to you, you wouldn't understand. I was nine years old. All I did, got some whipped cream and some strawberries, I think some syrup and some chocolate, and, and, I, and I ate the cake that she baked for me. Walked in the house. All I saw was cracked eggs and spilt milk. But what I didn't realize was that the eggs and the milk was the raw materials to make something beautiful. I, all I saw was cracked eggs and spilt milk. But what I did not know is that she was going to use those raw materials to make something beautiful. I don't know where you find yourself in your life. You may be like me. There, there have been times in my life where people looked at me, all they saw was cracked eggs and spilled milk. But what they didn't know is that the leftovers of my life, the mistakes of my life and bad choices of my life were the raw materials that God needed to make something beautiful. The broken areas of your life. God wants to turn it around when you put it in his hands. There's somebody here under the sound of my voice. You look at your life, all you see is cracked eggs and spilt milk. But God sees the raw materials to make something beautiful. If that's you, I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a special prayer for you. You want God to take the raw materials of your life, the cracked mistakes, Keep it real, they weren't mistakes. They were choices that you made, you strategized, you planned, you orchestrated, didn't work, you tried something else. Cracked eggs and spilt milk. And you're running. But that's what God needs. That's what God needs. That's another message. But that's our, those are the raw materials that God will use to turn things around in your life. There's someone only thing that remains the same and constant is you and when you slow down you finally realize it wasn't them it was me and God I need you to turn things around in your life if there's something in your life that you're tired of running from and that you want to give to him I invite you to come to the front I'm going to pray a special prayer of release just for you you're tired of from whatever it is and you want to give it to God you want to put it in his hands 
Is there another? The past is what it is. But God says, I am with you now. I'm going to be with you in the future. And I will not leave you until I have accomplished what I have promised to you. God is like Tony Soprano, y'all. He will promise you something you don't have and say, I'm responsible for it. I put my name on it and sign it in blood. Let somebody step to me. Esau, I got him. That's 20 years down the road. You, you, you can't see that yet. Your wife, I got that. She, she, she's, just, she's just a few weeks away. I, I got that. You need a job? God, God said, I got that too. Your past, your present, and your future. God says, I have it in my hands. Is there another? Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven. Lord, you said you're the God of Abraham. He, he was an idol worshiper. He was a liar. His father didn't believe. But Lord, you saw fit to come to an idol worshiper and tell him, I will make your name great and the entire earth will be blessed because of your crazy family. God, you come to us. Lord, we need you to put us to sleep. We need you to allow us to get to the place where we're tired and we're weary. And Lord, when we're in our mess, you come and you give us a dream. Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't even understand it. But Lord, we're thankful for your ladder. We're thankful that you come to us when we don't expect it and when we don't deserve it. Lord, the people here under the sound of my voice, Lord, they are the cracked eggs. They are the spilled milk. Father, I ask that you would take those leftover things, the, the damaged things, and use that to turn things around in their life. If you're tired of running and you want God to be with you wherever you go, just respond by saying amen. Amen. God bless you.